it's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking all about how to attract your dream client. So last week we talked about turning a bad client into your dream client. And now we're talking about how to actually attract the dream client. Because I don't know about you, but for me, thinking about how I could serve anyone or everyone is exhausting. And if I had a penny, now I know pennies are going extinct here in the United States. They're going to be extinct next year. And in other countries, like in Canada, I don't even think they have pennies in Canada anymore. But if I had a penny for every time someone said, oh, I could serve anyone, I would be a very rich person. Like very rich. I don't know that I would do the show. That would be a great question. But that's not the point of today's show. It's about how we attract our dream client. And in order to attract our dream client, we have to be very specific about who our dream client is. Now, a lot of times I get challenged on this when I ask people to be specific about their dream client, or even when I'm specific about who my dream client is, oftentimes I really have to, uh, I get challenged on this, meaning people say, but Kathleen, I know I can serve everyone, or I can serve this wide audience. Like if you think about McDonald's, for example, this is a brand that exists in most countries. So McDonald's has a very uh, specific target audience. But if you think about it, they can serve kids. They've got Happy Meals that serve kids. They've got the dollar menu. So they're the value menu. So now they've got offerings that serve different price points. They've got their bigger sizes. So it serves people with different appetites. And so you could think, well, they could serve anyone. That would make sense. But that's not actually true. If you look at McDonald's target audiences, and I don't have the exact research on who exactly they're targeting, but based on what I know about McDonald's, I can make some pretty good, like pretty, pretty solid guesses there. And so what I know about them is that typically if you do a lot of research, you can tell who the audience is. So it's they're not going after a very affluent market. If you look at where they put their locations, their franchises, because McDonald's is a franchise where they put franchises, they put them on the outskirts, so near interstates, but you don't see them in high wealth areas, like in the middle of the high wealth areas, you see them next to interstates. And you see them in a lot of rural areas, you see them in a lot of cities, like uh, small to medium sized cities, you see them in large urban populations, so in the middle of a downtown, so where people can buy quick food items, but you don't see it in a lot of high end, wealth like filled areas. And so that'll give you an indication of the, the types of people that they're going after and the wealth that they're going after. So typically McDonald's average customer would be somebody that's probably 150,000 or less in income. That could be anywhere from probably about, I would say $35,000 to about $150,000 in income. And this would be a family that they're going after. So the ones that have kids and adults And typically they're going to target somebody that's got a little bit uh, younger kids. So now let's look at another company, Disney. This is one that I've studied and I have looked at that. If you think about Disney, their primary target audience, they actually have a primary and a secondary target audience. The primary target audience 
is not children. You would actually think it might be children because they've got the theme parks, they've got the movies, they've got a lot of entertainment that appeals to children. So you could really easily think that the primary target audience for Disney is children, but that's not actually the case. The primary target audience for, for Disney is the person that's holding the credit card, which is the parent. Now, who's the influencer of the person holding the credit card? Of course, it's the kid. But the parent is the one that is actually holding the credit card. And this is a concept that I, we got to take to heart. One of the businesses that we own, we invested, is a martial arts studio. And in this martial arts studio, it's very much like the concept that we just shared with Disney. And in that case, what we look at is the students that are coming in, most of them are between the ages of four and 12. And so it can be really easy to think that's our audience because those are the people who are actually serving. They're the ones that are on our, in our mats. Now, do we have adults that train with us? Absolutely. Do we have teenagers that train with us? Absolutely. But the average age is between four and 12 years old. And so it can be really easy to say that's our primary target audience. It could be really easy to say, well, we serve anybody because as long as they're over the age of four, we could train up to 99 or 100. We did have a woman that started training in her 80s. And it's a really cool story. She got her black belt. So it's this phenomenal experience. But the, the most common age that we serve is between four and 12. And even when we target on our ads, we don't target those kids because, well, one, it's illegal to target children from an advertising perspective with the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission here in the United States. But what I also know is that those kids don't have credit cards or cash, so they can't pay, which means they're not actually our target audience. They're not the ones that are signing up for the program. It's the parents that are doing that. And then what I realized also, because this can get really tricky, we can think, but if the parents are our target audience, well, the kids, they decide whether they want to keep coming to class or not. And so I dug into that one. And what I realized was that the parents actually quit in our martial arts school before the kids do. The parents are tired or over it for whatever reason, the parents quit before the kids do. And then the kids stop coming. And so we got, when I, we realized that this shift was happening, we realized, oh, the, the primary target audience is really the parents because they're the ones that are making the buying decision and they're the ones that are reinforcing the buying decision. But the secondary target audience is the kids. Now, secondary target audience is very important as well. It just means they don't have the buying power. Okay, so what does this have to do with attracting your dream client? It's really getting to know your client. And from an emotional intelligence perspective, like why are we talking about this? Why do we pick this topic for the Kathleen Reeson show? It's because when we apply emotional intelligence to these concepts that in marketing, we've known these forever, but when we actually layer it in with emotional intelligence, we can start to attract our dream clients and speak to them in a way that we, we weren't speaking before. So we can really dig in and say, well, who is our primary target audience? Who's actually buying? And what are they thinking, feeling, and believing? And how do we evoke that in them? Now, I spent years and years studying advertising. And I loved advertising. And the advertising really, people think that advertising is about making people buy things they don't want or need. But <laughs> maybe there's an element of truth to that. But how advertising is actually defined is that advertising is about connecting people with the things that they desire and showing the connection between what you desire and a certain product or service. And so it's highlighting, 
here's your need, and here's a way to fill it. And if we're really good at advertising, we can connect that. But where we fall down is when we miss that people are buying because they think, feel, and believe, which are really based in emotional intelligence. So when we think about attracting our dream client, it's no different when we're thinking about somebody else's business as we are about ours. And we get to understand who is our target persona. And that word persona, it's a big word to say, our person. It's who the people we want to attract. Now, when I started my very first business, and that was my advertising agency, when I started it, I was just so thankful to earn a dollar. And I would work with anybody. At that point, it was just me. I didn't have a team. So any dollar that was earned, we had very low overhead. So any dollar that was earned, I like 98% of it would go towards me. So that's pretty cool. I could tell that a dollar that comes in, 98%, I could essentially count as my salary. If I wanted to keep some money in the business, let's say I kept 5% of it in the business, 93% would then go back to me. So a dollar comes in, 93 cents is mine. At that point, I thought, hey, if somebody's willing to pay me, this is cool. Well, then what happened? The agency grew and we got more clients that were saying, yes, I'll pay you. Yes, I'll pay you. And then we added more employees. And so that, that whole thought of, well, gosh, I, I know who I really want to work with, but this person's offering me money. And I've got employees that I get to pay. I've got rent to cover. So the game had changed. But the concept of, hey, you know what? They're waving money in front of me. It's really hard to say, nope, you're not exactly in my target audience. And so I'm not going to serve you. That's a really hard concept when you're in that, that scarcity space of I've got to pay bills, I've got employees to pay. So that's the first thing to understand when you want to really get clear about a persona and attract your dream client is that you can't serve everyone. If you serve everyone, you're really serving no one. If you serve everyone, you're really serving no one. And so we get to be really clear about for us and for our business, when we think about the vision of what we really want to create in this business, it's thinking about who we want to attract and who we want to serve. And that's when we start to build an audience persona. Now, in your business, you may have primary and secondary target audiences, which are exactly as we described earlier with, with Disney or with what I described with the martial arts. You may have a primary target audience where you say, you know, I would really like to serve adults that are 35 to 45 years old. And you can, you can have all kinds of statistics on these. There's demographics, which are traits based on geographic region or things that are outside of people, what your house looks like, or there's psychographic traits, which are more internal. And so that's where the emotional intelligence comes in. What I think, feel, and believe are my psychographic traits. And so what's really important about this is that you are very clear on who it is that you're going after. We've talked a lot about vision in the Kathleen recent show. You can go back and listen to episodes on vision. And what's where you want to tie in is the people that you want to serve are the people that really care about that vision as well. So now we're talking about building out an audience persona. So what do they think, feel, and believe? Where do they live? And being really clear on that. You may have primary audiences. You may have secondary audiences. There's not one that's more important to the other. But when you're clear about who the primary audience that you're calling forward is, then it gets really easy to say no thank you to other people that want to work with you. I say easy. It gets to be with ease. It's never easy to say no to somebody. I'll tell you a quick story. I had a client, well, a prospect 
So they weren't really a client yet. This guy, he was a financial advisor and he seemed like a pretty good client. I was very excited to work with him. My business partner had a little hesitation and she was in the space. We've talked before about collecting evidence. She wanted to understand why it wouldn't work. She had made up in her mind a belief that this was not the client for us. And I was coming from the space that this would be a fine client. And I went through the metrics of what our primary audience was. He was a little bit smaller than our primary audience, but he, he would still be a really good client. And here's the best part. He had actually handed us a deposit check of $10,000. It was sitting on my desk. All I had to do was put it in the bank. And my, my partner's like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. And then we started doing a little bit of work. So he actually became a client, but it was more sample work because we got to figure out, is this really a good client for us? Because my partner was hesitant. I wasn't, but she was. And as we moved through this process, what we realized within a week of working with him, I was fine with him, but she wasn't. And because of that, it wouldn't, the relationship wouldn't work. And so we got to understand that there was an emotional barrier that stopped that. Now, I couldn't tell you what that emotional barrier was. All I knew that that was that that it existed and that we weren't working through it. And it really that was hard to to send that check back to the prospect, but understanding that sometimes there are just emotional beliefs and if we can't get past them and those barriers, then that's not going to be an ideal client. So really understanding that some of this stuff goes a lot deeper, but when we can start to understand who are our primary and our secondary audiences, and we can understand who we want to work with, the types of people, what they think, feel, and believe, what's important to them, and making sure that that is in relationship with us, that's how we understand who our dream client is. And knowing that even when all of those boxes are checked and they somebody looks like the ideal client, in your gut, you have to have a check to say, is this somebody that I really want to work with? And this is coming from a space of abundance, meaning that if you're in a space of scarcity, scarcity versus abundance, those are the opposite. A space of scarcity is saying, look, I just, I've got to take everything that I can because I've got to put food on the table. I've got to pay my employees. In that case, this isn't a conversation for you in this moment. This is a radio show or podcast or however you're watching. You get to say, this is great information for the future. But if I'm in a space of scarcity, I'm just going to do the work that I have in front of me. And this is not a conversation I get to have. This, what we're talking about right now, attracting your dream client is a conversation that you have when you're in a space of abundance, meaning when you've reached a level in your business where you're covering cash flow. So your rent's paid, your employees are paid. This is the next level. It's saying now I'm not just going to work with clients. I'm going to work with my dream client. I'm going to understand what a dream client means to me to me. And that's an important distinction. We're going to cover that distinction when we get back from a quick break. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking all about attracting your dream client. Enjoy this quick break. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspire Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. 
professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we've been talking all about attracting your dream client. Right before we went on break, we talked about how your ideal client doesn't have to look like somebody else's, how the persona that you develop doesn't have to look like somebody else's. In fact, it shouldn't. Now, one of the traps that we can get into is that, well, this company down the street, which looks kind of like our company and maybe is considered a competitor, they're going after a very specific person, target. So their persona looks one way. So shouldn't your persona look that way? Shouldn't that look the same? But the reality is it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Now think about RFPs. I'm going to use the advertising agency model again because it's something I'm very familiar with. And I think the way that they gain business is something that probably very, very similar in business. I see this a lot. So in advertising, there's a couple different ways you can get business. One, you can just go out and have conversations and get it that way. And that's how a lot of business works. The other part is through the RFP process, the request for proposal, which means that a company who wants an advertising agency or any other service, they put out a request for proposal, which has these bullet points of what they're looking for. And what the company that puts out the RFP wants is a response from multiple companies. Now, we'll tell you one of the decisions that I made early on in my career of being a business owner was that we didn't respond to RFPs unless we were specifically asked to. We didn't respond to RFPs unless we were specifically asked to. Because when we really did this work on understanding our target audience, our persona, it was not someone who puts out RFPs. So the client that we wanted, we didn't want to earn that business through an RFP process. We had a very specific target audience. And in that case, they didn't, RFPs weren't even a thing for them because the way that we targeted, we targeted companies that have between 50 and 250 employees. And in that case, what we wanted was to be the marketing, the outsourced marketing team. And so it's a beautiful place to play, but that size company typically isn't putting out RFPs. So if we're going down and chasing RFPs because that's what our competitors are doing, well, our, they're not our ideal clients that are issuing them. So even when we win, we don't really win. So when we're clear about who our audience is, it makes a big difference. So hear that, and that we can easily get into this game of, but that's what our competitors are doing. Now let's look at this from another industry. So the fitness industry, perfect example, was working with a client who they were in this cycle and the cycle was burning out, in this case, the client, but their employees as well. Well, what happened is every new year, every actually started before that, every Black Friday, there would be this huge sale on fitness. You've seen it, I'm sure. There'd be these huge Black Friday deals and people would look for them and then they would buy them. And then around Christmas, there would be big sales right after Christmas. And then right before New Year's, there would be sales 
on fitness so that during the first week of January, the gyms would be filled with people. Now, what happened on February 15th, middle of February, those people wouldn't come anymore. It's this little thing called New Year's resolutions. I'm sure you've heard of them, but people make these New Year's resolutions. Maybe this is you. And we declare health. This is one of the biggest resolutions that exist. Declare health. And we say, we're going to go to the gym. It's going to be great. I'm going to go every day. This is the year I'm going to be fit. This is it. And so we go to the gym, we get our, our membership, and it doesn't matter what the cost of the membership is. It could be thousands of dollars. It could be hundreds of dollars. It could just be dollars. And we decide that we're going to go to this gym. But the middle of February happens, and all of a sudden, gym attendance tanks. Now, places like Planet Fitness and some of these that have lower monthly rates, they're cool with that because you're going to keep paying your $19, $29, $39 a month, and they actually incentivize you by having like bagel days or pizza days. Now, this was an amazing concept to me when I heard this because it didn't make sense. Pizza at a gym or bagels at a gym. But then I realized that's what got people in there. And they did a really great job of bringing people in for what they wanted, but then giving them what they needed. So while they were there, they came in for the pizza, but hey, they worked out while they were there. And then they might not come in for another month till the next pizza day or ice cream day or bagel day or whatever it is. But that was enough to say, oh, you know what? I went in once. I'm going to go in again because we tell ourselves in our mind that we're going to. So whatever that $19, $29, dollars subscription, I'm not going to cancel that because, hey, I went in and I'm going to go in more. And this cycle keeps happening and that's how they keep the revenue up. But it wasn't working for my client whose team would spend all this time onboarding all these people in January and they had a higher priced gym. And so by the time February 15th rolled around and the people stopped coming, well, March would come and their subscriptions, their memberships, they would cancel them. And now all of a sudden they got to do it again. And so then they would have a fire sale again to get everybody back in. People would come in and then the same thing would happen. But what this client found after years of doing this and burning out a lot of employees and then realizing there aren't as many people that would replace them. So he figured he had to do something different. He says, I, I think I know the problem. I'm going after this market of people because this is what everybody does around that Black Friday time. I'm going after people that want to come in for New Year's resolutions. But I, he, he noticed, very suit of him, he noticed that if he went after people in that March time frame, right after spring break, so like second, third, fourth week of March, the people there, they had a little more impetus to change. So maybe they went on a flight with their kids and they realized that the seatbelt on the plane was a little bit tight, or they went to an amusement park and the, the bar coming down, that was a little bit tight for them, or they just weren't comfortable in their bodies, or perhaps they went and put a swimsuit on in a warmer location and that made them uncomfortable or they wanted to go skiing with their families and they just didn't have the, the giddy up that they used to have. There were, there were signs inside of them that they wanted to change. It wasn't because everybody else was doing it. It was now as something internal that said, I get to do it. And when he marketed to those people, they stayed a lot longer, like six to nine months. And in the fitness world, that's a long time. So you've got people that come for the January 1st that will stay maybe 45 days. But you've got people that will come after spring break that will stay six to nine months. Now, who's your more valuable customer? Yeah, you wanna go after the people for the six to nine months. 
or longer? Because could you, if he just focused on that area, could he get them to be customers longer? Well, that was his theory. So we started talking to him and realized, okay, what if you just dropped this other group? What if you just didn't market for Black Friday? That was, that was a scary thought because if you stop marketing there, well, what's going to be left? What would be left? And he, he just, I really honor him for really uh, uh, being willing to go after his dream client. So what he did was he wasn't present on Black Friday. He wasn't present. And I mean, he wasn't advertising. He wasn't advertising at the beginning of the year. And come January 1st, his gym wasn't packed. Come January 10th, his gym wasn't packed. Come February 15th, his gym wasn't packed. His employees were getting concerned. But guess what happened around spring break? He started advertising. And guess what happened right after spring break? People started coming in. And guess what happened in May, June, July, August? Those people were still there. And those people were telling their friends and it ended up growing significantly. Now, the real trick came that second time we hit Black Friday. Guess what he did? He didn't advertise. I mean, the competitors all did, but he didn't. He stayed true to who his persona was, whose primary target audience was, and he didn't advertise. And so the, think about this. What do people think, feel, and believe is so important. And so he, he didn't advertise. He did the same thing he did the year before, and he got similar results. And he realized, wow, I, I was spending so much time going after this audience who really was burning out my employees who weren't profitable in the end because we brought them in at a really cheap price and then they quit. So we never really created a profit off of them. And they weren't a loss leader because they didn't lead to anything else. They just left. So loss leader, meaning that we bring them in at a low price. We don't make any money on them, but they're going to make money on the end. So at the end of the day, it all evens out. You make money that wasn't the case either. He was just losing and his employees were tired. So that wasn't working. So he totally switched the mentality around. I mean, that's when you're talking about attracting your dream client. Like this guy in this gym, this client, he really, he really gave up what he believed in order to test something else that he didn't know if it was going to work or not. And when we're talking about this process, really getting tight on your persona, that's a piece of what you get to walk through. And that's not easy work to do. I remember the day when I had that $10,000 client in front of me. And as much as I, the $10,000 client, I had that $10,000 check on my desk. And as much as I wanted this client to be a great client, because that was just the deposit. I wanted this to work because that would have been nice. But it wasn't working. And so sometimes we get to say, we aren't going to take what's right in front of us because we want to play a longer game and we want to go after our dream clients. And if we just take anybody that's willing to wave checks or credit cards in front of us, we're, we're oftentimes missing out on the real people that we can serve, meaning the ideal client. And so what we get to do is this work to say, well, then who is that? Who is our ideal client? What does that look like? What does that look like? And so that's what's really important about understanding who your target audience is. The other piece is speaking about where they are now. Now, in the gym example that I just gave you about how this guy, where he spoke was, uh, he knew something happened on spring break that caused this trigger to say, now is the time where I get to make a change. 
Perhaps it was the seatbelt in the airplane. Perhaps it was on the, the ride at the amusement park. Perhaps it was skiing. But there was something that occurred that meant that the person wasn't in the health state that they wanted to be in. And so we get to be really sensitive to understanding what is that trigger, that moment that gets our ideal client to say, huh, I should probably come see you. I should probably come to your place of business. Because that's about understanding in our minds what really is happening. We get to be connected to our audience. And when we are, when we're connected like that, our audience can see that we're the ones to support them in solving their problem. And this is emotional intelligence at the highest. It's just connecting in the minds, in our brains. We make decisions. I mean, just think about this. Do you think we make decisions based on logic or based on emotion? Do we make decisions based on logic or emotion? So we, we make buying decisions based on emotion, but then we justify them based on logic. We make buying decisions based on emotion and we justify them by logic. So this is all emotional intelligence here. We're just saying if we can connect to our target audience, to our primary audience, and we can say, I understand your triggers. I understand what your challenges are. We're going to connect with them on the emotion. And then the next step is putting something out there that they can buy. That's a very small, tangible piece, very small action. Oftentimes we want to give out the big prize. We want the big package. But when somebody's just learning to trust us or to work, they, they just need something very small and actionable. So think about what your ideal target audience, when you know the persona, you know how to speak to them because you understand the triggers, then what is the first thing they might want to buy from you? What would be the first thing? Now, we're going to talk more about this in just a minute. First, we're going on a quick break. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we're talking all about attracting your dream client. Now, just to back up a second, why am I talking about this? So I am an executive advisor that focuses on the emotional intelligence space and understanding how we use emotional intelligence to move forward our businesses, our people, and really understand that tool and why it can be beneficial. 
So I have an extensive background in advertising. Uh, I used to run an agency. And so a lot of this can be applied in that world. I'm actually looking at or working on a book right now that is about emotional intelligence with first ourselves, then our teams, and then our company. Because if you can't look at it from the lens of self first, then you're not going to be able to work on this from a team or even into your client. So in the work of, let's just say, advertising agencies or any professional services, how we show up for our clients is directly related to our level of emotional intelligence, 100%. So the work that we create like in the advertising world, for example, that kind of work really centers around what people think, feel, and believe. We're working with emotions because people buy on emotions and then they back it up based on logic. And so we have to understand how to play into people's emotions. I don't mean that from a, a manipulative way. I mean that is since people buy on emotion, we've got to put emotion out there. There's a reason that certain cars are advertised in certain colors. There's a reason that certain font types are used. All those things, there's so much research behind it. Did you know that on websites, if you go look at websites, the different fonts that are used, I mean, look at that. There's serif and sans serif fonts. Okay, sans serif and sans serif fonts. Now that mean they mean nothing to you and me, but in the web world, it's really important. Or if you're writing a book, the size of the font and the type of font you use actually indicate how far in your book people will read. If you're not an author, you don't care about that. But if you're an author, you care about that because it's all related to our brain. And it actually goes to our emotions because certain fonts make us feel a certain way. And when we don't feel good, we pull back. But when we feel good, we lean in. And fonts have a really important way of making us feel good. That's why there's so many fonts. So when you want to elicit an emotion, you'll use different fonts. You'll use different colors. You'll use different hues, meaning, meaning lightness and darkness of colors and this value and saturation, all these things in the art world that seem really nice, they're actually really important because our minds tend to play well in certain ways, but not in others. And so a really good designer understands how to evoke emotion based on these things. It's really important. That's what they go to school to learn or trade school or learn it from a mentor. And so that's why it's so important that when we think about by attracting our ideal audience, we have to know, well, what do they like? What kind of fonts do they like? What elicits their emotions? It's really important. And understanding what triggers them. But then the next piece is then one tiny action. Now, this is the piece that me personally that I've fallen down a lot because I want, I see my ideal audience. And when they're standing in front of me, I want to offer them the kitchen, like everything, because I see how I can serve them. But I realized that human nature is to buy something small first. I want to test it. I want to see if it's right for me. And if it is, then I'll buy everything else. But what's that little thing that you can test? Again, looking back into the gym world, that's why you have a lot of free trials, free weeks. In our martial arts studios, we offer a free week for 79 or free month for $79 or a free week of classes. So it's that somebody can get a little taste of it and see if they like it. And if they do, then they'll buy more. We also know based on research that says that if somebody's willing to swipe their credit card for a very small amount, like a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, twenty dollars, anything under about two hundred dollars, then they're more likely to swipe for a higher amount. So the act of getting the credit card out and swiping it, regardless of the amount, but for a nominal amount, 
they're more likely to then buy something bigger. So think about that. When you are positioning your company, do you have a really tiny bite-sized purchase item where somebody can say, oh, I like this company or I don't. It's really just a test. So the amount of what's in it is irrelevant. You could pack this. This could be a something that's normally you would sell for $10,000. Give it away for $29. If it's your intro feature, because it's not about, it's just marketing. It is not about the money that you're getting for it. It's just a piece of your funnel to say, will somebody, will my ideal client be a yes to me? Because you can't sell them the 100,000 or the 500,000 or whatever your package is. You can't sell them that if they're not willing to buy something small from you. So give something to them. Like in, in my funnel, what I'm developing, I the new one that I'm testing out, I'll just share this one because it's been on my mind. It's actually up on my marker board. So I've got a book that I'm working on right now. The book will be about $5, okay? So this book, I have poured hundreds of hours, if not even into thousands at this point, into this book, almost ready to go. It's a $5 book. Now, could I sell this book in paperback or hardback on Amazon for $15, $20? Sure, but I wouldn't have a funnel behind it. And so I'm choosing to sell this book as an ebook, which is really more of a long form marketing tool, okay? So that'll be $5. Now, what I know is that in order to market this book, I've got to have that small bite-sized piece behind it, which means I'm going to have a $29 offer and a $197 offer. Those are upsells. Okay, so the reason that I'm sharing with you is that these are some of these concepts people buy based on emotion. If I've purchased a $5 book, I'm more likely than at that point to now buy something else that's a little bit bigger in price, but still very small. So my chances of upgrading to a $29 or $197 offer are significantly higher. So then I have that opportunity. Now, I know that at that point, then they're not going to immediately upgrade into my next offer which let's just say that at this point, I'm still working on this. Let's just say that's an $8,000 offer. And then let's say the next one is an $80,000 offer. I know that you're not gonna buy the $8,000 offer. Once you buy the $5 and the $29, you're not ready to buy the 8,000. But I do know that after a series of conversations, then you might be ready for that 8,000. But that's a testing. So when you get really clear on who your target audience is, then you can start to put these together and say, well, if this is my target audience, this is their triggers. What's the smallest thing that they can buy? Well, then what's the next thing that they could buy? And what's the next thing that they can buy? And oftentimes, and we've gotten into this trap because people buy on emotion, we think, I'm just going to put the biggest thing out there and hope that they bite. Have you ever put a proposal out and your client's like, uh, I'll let you know. They're fence sitters. And so they sit on the fence. Like, These are big clients, I, big, big proposals. I've had this challenge where I've had proposals that I put out, six-figure plus proposals, and I don't get a response. And I don't get a response. And I follow up and they say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And then three months goes by and they say, well, we went with somebody else or we chose not to do something. And I think, what happened? What happened is somebody proved their value higher than me. Somebody understood the target audience better than I did. And somebody gave them something that they could buy that they could wrap their hands around. And so one of the ways to do that is to give them something so bite-sized that they can wrap their hands around it, test it, see if they like it, get some results. Because when we get results, then we say, oh, that worked. Okay, now I want more results. Now I'm going to buy more. So we get into that concept. What's the smallest thing we can buy? 
Now, one of the things that I did with one of my businesses is that I took this concept and said, okay, so what's the smallest piece that they can buy? And instead of offering the six figures, what we did was break it down into, in this case, we had a $1,000 option. Now, this was not $29. It was still, still a four-figure option. But for $1,000, we could give you a very small understanding of what your, one of your clients thought about you. So from an understanding perspective, what does one of your clients think about you? Which basically meant we were going to call and interview one of their clients and get some information. So it was about an hour's worth of time to have the conversation, to prep the deliverable, and then to actually deliver it to the client. So for an hour's worth of time, $1,000, not a bad profit margin there. But what it really did was it give, gave the client an example of how we worked. It gave the client an example of what we could do. It gave the client some confidence in the work and the relationship that we could create. And so then once that was presented, the client said, oh, okay, I want to do more of this. What else can you offer? Their credit card was out, and then they were ready to swipe it in a bigger way. And so think about that. Once you understand your target audience so clearly, you know what their triggers are, then you know how you can support them, then create something that's bite-sized for them to be a yes to. Because once they're a yes to the bite size, then they can be a yes to the bigger. But all of this stuff is just theory until you understand who you want to work with, who your true target audience is. And know, just like we said in the very beginning, that oftentimes who you think your target audience is, that may be secondary. There may actually be somebody that's, that's closer that's actually your primary. Now, I see this a lot when I'm working with clients who think that their primary audience is the C-suite. A lot of people are going after the C-suite. So it's very challenging to get access to C-suite at most businesses. So as a client, to talk with the C-suite. And a, a large part of that is because so many people want to get the C-suite. And we believe that the C-suite ultimately makes the decisions. Well, the C-suite may be the ones that sign off. They may be the ones that have the final okay. But what I know to be true at most companies, the C-suite actually has very heavy influencers around them which means let's just say in the case of HR, the VP of HR may have be, be the heavy influencer for the CEO. So if the VP of HR says, I really think we should move forward with this. And the CEO is like, yeah, if you say so, great. Who is the primary audience? Is it truly the C-suite or is it the VP of HR? In this case, it would be the VP of HR would be primary because they're the ones that are going to go walk into the C-suite and say to the, to the CEO, hey, we should do this. And the, as long as that VP of HR is soundly behind the decision, then it's okay. Now, that's in a corporate environment. But think, I know some of you work in a consumer environment with like spouses. Now, this is one thing that I hear a lot. Somebody will say, yeah, but I work with, I have had a great conversation with, let's just say, the wife in a, in a uh male-female relationship, they have a conversation with the wife. The wife says, yeah, this is great. I really like this. Let me go ask my husband. Now, that's a really tricky place to play because the, you don't know what the relationship is between those two partners. You don't know what they have set. My husband and I, for the longest time, early in our marriage, we had a $100 limit that anything under $100, we didn't care. We didn't ask each other. But that was the limit, the threshold that we had set. If we were going to make a purchase that was greater than $100, then we would have a conversation with each other about it. So at that time in our marriage, that made sense. 
But I'll tell you what happened yesterday. My oldest son, he's on this uh, growth hormone medicine. It's just something that supports him in his growth. And I got a call from a pharmacy and they said, hey, guess what? This month's medicine is $1,500. It's the most expensive medicine. My husband's been on chemo before. I mean, this medicine is expensive. I didn't say, okay, hold on. Let me call my husband to see that he's okay with it. We didn't have that conversation because I knew that he'd be fine with it. And so I authorized the charge for $1,500. So our relationship has changed and the dynamic has changed over time. Now, if I was just going to go buy a $1,500 couch or $1,500 painting or something else, yeah, I might have that conversation. So there's thresholds that we've set in our minds that are conditional based on what we believe is expensive or not expensive or worthy or not worthy. And we don't know what our potential client has set as their thresholds. We can guess, but it's not going to serve us. And so in that case, when somebody says, well, I got to check with my partner, my spouse, my husband, whatever that word is, whoever that is. What they're really saying is, I've got to go justify this decision because there's not enough emotion right now for me to be a yes. So I'm going to go be logical with this other person and I'll get back with you. And in that point, most likely you've lost them. And so one of the questions that can be really supportive in this scenario is to say, okay, I hear you. And if your husband, in this case, we're using husband as that, that other person, if your husband is a yes to this, are you a yes to this? Because essentially you're taking away that, that logic piece. You're saying, if they're a yes, are you a yes? And you're getting them back into that emotion to say, would I be a yes to this? And now they're going to speak from the space of, hmm, uh, yeah, no, or maybe. There are maybe, then you get to dig in because really we don't want fence sitters. Fence sitters are maybes. We want it to be on one side of the fence or the other, the yes or the no. No one's not a bad spot. But when you attract your dream client, what you're doing is learning what emotion is going to push them over to the yes because that's what you want to market. You want to support them in being a yes so that you get the, the, the perfect match for what you want. Now, this is the really cool place about emotions and how we tie it in and how we can attract our dream clients when we really speak and we feel, we, we think, feel, and believe just like them and we can talk in that way, then they can find us. This is how we cut through the clutter and the noise that's happening in the world. People want to speak to you and there may be hundreds of thousands of people attempting to speak to them, but if you're speaking in the way they want to hear, then they get to hear you. But if you're speaking just like everybody else, they can't hear you and they can't find you can't hear you, and they can't find you. Okay, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we will wrap all of this up. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership, here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we've been talking all about attracting your dream client. 
And one of the things we've talked about really being clear on who your primary target audience is or your persona. So who is the person that you want to go after? If this is something that you're wondering how to do, like, don't worry about it. Don't fret about it. I actually have some worksheets and some things that can be really helpful for you. So just send me a note. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com and I can get those to you. But it's really valuable to understand who your persona is, who your target audience is. And again, this is something that comes from your mind, your think, feel, and what do you, what do you think, feel, and believe? You may be your target audience, and you may not be. I've sat in a lot of boardrooms, I mean, a lot of boardrooms, with people that think they're their target audience. Like, oh yeah, this is, this is perfect because you're targeting me. But most of the time, that's not the case. It's just not. And so when what you think, feel, and believe, if you're not the target audience, then it doesn't matter. I have a client right now who the really cool thing is, I am the target audience. They are not the target audience, but I am. So everything that they say for their for where they want to go after for their target audience, I can check that against myself. And that doesn't always happen, but it's pretty cool when it does because it's a really good indicator. Of, I, don't have to, I don't have to be neutral on it. I can say, would I buy that or not? And so that's really fun. But just keep in mind that oftentimes you're not the target audience. And so you've got to use a different tool to understand who your target audience is and different types of research to understand what they think, feel, and believe. Because when that happens, then you can go into the next step, which is understanding what the triggers are, what will make them want to move forward with a service like yours. And then we get to understand what's the bite-sized piece that they would want to purchase. Before you offer them the full mega services that you have to offer, what is the bite-sized piece that you can offer? Now, here's this last piece that I'm going to share with you, and this is one of the most important, and it's one that I have fallen down on over and over and over again. And it has to do with consistency in your messaging. Consistency in your messaging. It means that when you've got an idea, when you've got something somewhere that you want to go, when, when you've got your persona that you want to go after, do that for quite a while. Remember the gym example that I gave you in how the second year, like the first year results, the second year, he stayed with it. It would have been really easy to change the decision the second year, but it would have confused his audience. Now, I find I know that I really like getting started with things, but I don't like finishing them. And so oftentimes I'll get results, but if I don't get all the results or by the time the results stop coming, I want to switch directions. And that is not something that always works. So what you want to do is actually go deeper and continue with that messaging, continue with that target audience, keep going. It's something that I've gotten to train myself around, and it's my message to you today is to stick with it because it can be easy to switch off and go with another messaging. But what it does is create confusion. And we don't want to create confusion in the marketplace. We want our target audience to know that, that we can serve them. We want to attract our dream client to us. And so in order to do that, we get to be consistent with our messaging. Now, next week, we're talking about how to be more creative. This is one of my favorite topics because I love creativity. Some people love running. Some people love lifting weights. Some people love listening to music or dancing. I love being creative and using my creativity in lots of different ways. But what it does is open up pathways for me to be in what I consider a flow state, which means that's where ideas come, that's where we're the most productive. Now, I also believe that we can increase our creativity, but we've got to understand where creativity comes from. 
And so next week on the show, we're going to spend a little bit, just a little bit of time in some science, understanding where creativity comes from. And then we're going to spend most of our time understanding how we can increase our creativity. What are some tools that we can use? What are some ways that we can do this? What are some of the challenges with increasing our creativity? That is all of next week. So it's going to be a super fun show. It'll air next Monday. So make sure that you listen in. You can listen through the radio show, through the podcast, or through the TV show on the Binge Network. So we've got all kinds of ways that you can listen. And if you have any questions about today's show or any other show topics that you have, or if you'd like some support in anything that we covered today, this is my area. I love talking about emotional intelligence and how we can apply it both for ourselves for coaching our teams and for our companies and how we move forward. I'm an executive advisor and I work with executives every single day to understand how we can apply these principles of emotional intelligence into our worlds. And so let me know. If you have questions, reach out. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. So my homework for you this week, because of course we've got to have homework. That's a really important piece. And why do we have homework? Because it reinforces certain concepts. Now this is not big homework. This is homework that you can attract, you can complete in the next week before the next show. So here it is. If you've got a piece of paper, write it down or just commit it to memory. It is about understanding who your target audience is. So first I want you to be specific. Draw a person, got a piece of paper, draw an actual person. Now, this person isn't a boy or a girl or however gender specific you want to get yet. Now, your task is to understand what does this person look like? What does this person feel like, think like? Does this person have kids? Is this person married? Does this person have a partner? Where does this person live? So get really specific on who this person is and what do we know about this person? What do we want to learn about this person? Get really specific on why they would want to work with you. It doesn't matter if you're in a consumer business or, or you're going after other businesses. So we call that B2C or B2B, business to consumer, business to business. It doesn't matter. You can build out your persona. And if you think that, for example, you're going after the C-suite, awesome. But really check yourself because people say that a lot. But that's not actually the case. Usually it's somebody in another position that's an influencer in. So there's all kinds of layers you can think about. But create a little visual for yourself of who your persona is. It's one of the most important things you can do. And then you can talk to them. You can be specific about what it is that they need, but that is your dream client and you want to attract them to you, which means you get to know who they are. That's a really important concept. Thank you for joining us on today's show. We will see you next week. Have a great week. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.